Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders and our program, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month masterclass, we'll be taking your managers through a learning journey, which includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and we'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com masterclass. You know, for most of us, work and stress go together, I guess, a little bit like peas and carrots, as Forrest Gump once said. The big question is, what are you stressing out about? More importantly, what is causing that stress? Our guest today is Judy Kane. Now, Judy Kane is a Psych K facilitator, and she works with folks trying to help them figure out better ways to leverage their experiences to mitigate some of their stresses. We found out in this interview that subconscious beliefs can significantly impact your life. And Judy's got some answers to help us figure out a way through that. Judy's got some great suggestions. She's got a ton of experience. And at the end, please check out her resource page, which is alignconsciousness.com resources for some free resources that can get you on the journey. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting Judy. I think you're going to enjoy hearing from her. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Make sure your personal items tucked underneath the seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Judy Kane, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. The topic is one that I'm pretty sure everybody will be interested in. And that, of course, is around stress. And so the topic today is, what is stressing you out at work? And I'm sure everybody's saying, well, let me get pencil and paper and I'll go ahead and write them out for you. Um, all of us are probably struggling outside of work, but for many of us, it's twofold. And so in our time together, I'd love to hear you share some of the things that might be able to be very useful and helpful for us as an audience so that we can manage this issue. But Judy, before we do that, I was hoping you could share your journey with us. Tell us what you used to do and what you're doing today. Okay. Um, yeah, well, for most of my career, I worked in IT, and most of that was in IT management. So I had a lot of interaction with HR departments, <laughs> hiring and, and other HR kinds of discussions. And after I did that, uh, for five years, I was a realtor, which was um, not my niche. <laughs> it was, uh, I was in the background doing transaction coordination types of things and didn't really get the fun part of seeing many clients and houses. So that, that was not a good fit for me. Um, 
But after that, I started doing what I do now, which I love. It's, it's helping people change those subconscious beliefs that are stressing them out and keeping them from achieving their goals. And uh, this is, you know, this is great enjoyment and fulfillment for me. So um, I'm really happy I found it. So what was the thing that shifted you then from real estate to, to this? So IT to real estate to now you were helping people with stress. I mean, did you just wake up one morning and say, this is my new thing? Or did something happen to kind of bring this to you? Well, you know, it's funny because it sounds unlikely to land here from what I've done in the past. Um, but it's not really that different from the IT background that I've got. But what happened was I saw this process that I use work with my former husband. And I had not realized that there could be such significant changes that could be done as quickly and easily as, as the way this works. And um, he, he had something that it was a physical issue, a pain that he had that a friend of ours changed and I was watching and it wasn't anything where you needed to interpret messages or sense energy or, you know, any, you know, special skills that I did not have at the time. It was just a process that worked really well. And that intrigued me uh, because the potential for it was huge, not only for physical symptoms of stress and other things, but just changing your mindset about things that worried you. And uh, so I started taking the uh, as many workshops as I could actually trying to just get all the knowledge I could for me and my friends. Um, that was in 2011. And then in 2014, I decided it was too good to keep to just that closed circle. So I made it a business. But the, you know, when you're talking with clients, they come in and they've got something they want to change. And our job in the session is to figure out what they'd rather be experiencing and then do what you can to get them to that place in the, in the course of the session. When you're in IT, you're also doing that just the same way as a contractor or an architect or anybody who is creating change for people. You, you look at what they've got, you listen to what they would rather have, and then you figure out a way to get from one to the other. So it's not so, so different, really. <laughs> okay. Well, I was just curious. Yeah. So with this whole process that you do, you've mentioned a couple of times so far something about subconscious beliefs. <laughs> Uh, tell us more about that. Sure. Well, uh, when we're born, we come in like little sponges. And, and that's nature's way of trying to make sure we have our best chance of thriving wherever we land. If we came in with our own ideas of what was right and wrong, um, it might conflict with where we landed. So we we're, for the first seven years, we're just kind of wandering around, absorbing all the beliefs in the place where we landed mostly immediate family, but certainly other places that you are influenced by can also uh, create those subconscious beliefs. And um, they're your default system. They control about 95% of your behavior. And your subconscious is a lot more powerful, a lot faster than your conscious mind. So it's it's your default set of behaviors and beliefs that's um, 
there whenever you're not intentionally doing something different. Now, are all these subconscious beliefs, are they, they sound like they can be good and bad, but it sounds like the more we hang on to them, the worse they get. Is that about right? <laughs> well, it depends on what they are. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's some things we learn when we're little about what's safe and what isn't. Um, some of those don't serve us, but others certainly do. I mean, don't step in front of a car and, you know, don't put your hand in the fire. I mean, those probably serve us well all our lives, but a lot of them, may not have even been that helpful when we were little, but they certainly can prevent us from uh, making decisions based on what we want and being able to achieve goals later. So what are some examples of negative self-beliefs then, the subconscious beliefs? Because you've given me some positive ones. Yeah, don't get in front of the car, don't touch the hot stuff. Right, yeah. But it sounds like what people hang on to are the bad ones as well as the good ones. Yeah. So what are some examples of some bad ones? Well, you know, there are two categories that I have seen um, very frequently in the context of work environments. Uh, I mean, it shows up in all your life, but, you know, especially in work are, you know, the safety issues and the self-worth issues. So um, you can have a fear of, of success, which can really get in your way if you're trying to be successful at work, right? Uh, it can be too expensive to be successful in terms of the time you think you need to put in for that success. Or um, it might be that you don't think it's safe to be seen or heard. So that can make it very difficult to express yourself in a group or stand up and, and lead an effort. Um, that can be really stressful if your subconscious thinks that's not safe. Fear of failure, not being able to take risks because you've learned that failing is bad. Um, what are some others? Scarcity, like not having enough of the resources, whatever those might be that you need. Could be money, but it could also be time or, you know, whatever other types of resources are important to you for that particular effort. In your experience, do people tend to hang on to a lot of those negative ones or do you find people just have maybe one or two? It just seems like for most of us that are struggling, it seems like we're all hanging on to a lot of the real bad stuff unless we just downplay the good. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, it's complicated. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been doing this with myself since 2011 and I haven't gotten to the bottom of my list yet. Um, <laughs> The more you clear away, the more it's like, oh, wow, there's another one. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, we, we hang on to good ones and bad ones. Um, we don't notice the good ones so much. We don't notice the things that are supporting us as much as we notice the things that are getting in our way. Yeah, I'm thinking back, you know, for myself, what are some negative beliefs that I've had? And I'm trying to think, you know, what might have triggered those? And in many cases, it's, you know, you're not good enough. Um, you know, what gives you the right to be here? Are those examples of something that could have their roots in, from many years ago? Absolutely. And those fall into that second category of self-worth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't think you're good enough, you can notice that you have a problem with, you know, maintaining boundaries or keeping your priorities up at a higher level than everybody else's. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I see, 
they immediately, if somebody else has an issue, their stuff goes to the bottom of the list. Uh, so that's definitely part of that I'm not good enough uh, mindset. The way you talk to yourself, are you a cheerleader for yourself like you probably are for other people? Or are you constantly pointing out to yourself what you could have done better or what you never do well or how awful this this thing was or you are? Um, lots of that self-talk. Decision-making. If you don't think that you um, make good decisions, if you, if you are a poor decision-maker or if you doubt yourself, that the stress that that causes is huge. If you know you you don't feel comfortable making decisions, or you keep going back and revisiting them, uh, I've seen people that we've all seen people that have a hard time accepting compliments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they deflect or they give credit to other people or events. You know, oh, I was just lucky, or it was the team, or. Um, and of course, if there's a team, you need to give them credit. But if you can't ever take uh, a compliment for what you've done yourself, there's those are some subconscious beliefs that are getting in your way. You know, I've seen people who can't even say that they're proud of something that they've done. I mean, they can't get the words out. So for something like that, Judy, what might be an example from childhood that could have cause that? Because I, I mean, I'm assuming that a lot of this stuff happens from the way you were raised or maybe who raised you. Mm-hmm. Is that where that could have come from? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it can come from a lot of things. It could be an environment where nothing you did was ever good enough. But sometimes it can come from just one or two really um, impactful situations. So, I mean, it, it if somebody is got low self-esteem, they don't value themselves or they don't think other people value what they can do. Um, it's not necessarily because everybody in their family thought poorly of them, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there can be comparisons. There can be um, conditional love based on what you do or how well you do things. There's all sorts of things that can cause that. I was thinking back as you were mentioning that to, for me personally, having a hard time. Uh, I'm, I'm getting over that now at my you know later stage of life at age 58 right now. But for the longest time, it was, you know, who do you think you are? You have no right to be here. And I and I think back through my own childhood with my father. But I think for him, what you just said really stuck with me because all the time I grew up. He would always tell my brother and I the same story when he was in probably the second grade. He grew up without a father, and what he remembers of his dad was very abusive. In fact, his dad left him when he was probably six or seven, and his going away gift was punching him in the face twice, blackening both of his eyes. And so growing up without a father, uh, he told us there was a time they had a, a wood shop class in elementary school, and the teacher told him to build a boat out of wood and he didn't know how to do it. So he just took a little block of wood and pounded a whole bunch of nails into the top. Well, the teacher comes around, picks it up and says, class, what's wrong with this boat? And everybody, of course, yells too many nails. Well, I know that that bothered him his entire adult life because he told my brother and I that story. Then he told um, my grandma, his grandkids, my kids, that same story. And, you know, if he was still around, I'm sure my his great grandkids would probably hear that story. But I think that impacted me because I could remember 
thinking, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself. You know, what gives me the right? Until one day, I think I just mentally shifted and realized, well, that's not my story. It doesn't have to be my story. Uh, but there's still little hints of it every once in a while. But is that like out of the ordinary or is that kind of a common experience uh, from where you are? Yeah, I see. I hear about that with people frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, you know, one issue like that. It can be a, a constant environment like that. Um, and things can be generational, right? I mean, the way your dad put, you know, the emotion your dad had telling y'all that story, probably y'all picked up on. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that belief can transfer that way. Yeah. Well, I think I could see it for most of his life. You know, he would, he had a lot of ideas um, in terms of, you know, I understand his personality better now that I, we used some instruments at Boss Builder. So I figured out his personality and thought, wow, from what he was wired to do, his experience growing up really screwed him up. Mm-hmm. He's got the same personality preferences, I think, people like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, who have basically changed the world as we know it. And yet my dad couldn't finish a damn thing his entire life. You know, he had all these schemes and ideas and they would quickly die a, a, you know, a violent death of like, I don't want to do it anymore. But I think it was that low self-esteem his entire life up until he passed away about five years ago that was just, I think, solidified when he was young. And then here he is. But the effect it had on my brother and I, I think my brother took it a lot harder. And I think in many ways led to what he went through, which he passed away a few years ago as well. But it was that sense of, you know, no self-value, no self-worth. That scares me because I think, you know, that doesn't just come out of nowhere. I think there's a way to prevent that. So we're we're looking at people that don't feel self-worth. But what about the other side of this where somebody is actually nasty to other people or overly judgmental and critical? Because for every person that's afraid to take credit, there's somebody on the other end of that ex- extreme who's going to knock other people over to take the credit. Does that have its roots in your early experience and some of these subconscious beliefs too? Pretty much, in, in my experience, pretty much anything that's a pattern has its roots there. Um, it, you know, it, it, the subconscious is, is, the, is the framework for all the behaviors and all the uh, approaches and, and beliefs. And, you know, it's just... Um, it's incredibly pervasive. My guess, and and this is outside of of my purview, but my guess would be when somebody is like that, they don't think very highly of themselves and it's their way of compensating. So it's the same problem, just a different way of experiencing it and demonstrating it. In your experience, and I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm just curious. I mean, would you say there's a percentage of the population who have managed to escape this trap? And for whatever reason, maybe it was the way they were raised or the way that they were nurtured, that they don't have a bunch of, you know, the self-defeating underlying beliefs and not overcompensating or faking it. I mean, legitimately like, hey, I feel good about myself. Yeah. And, and I feel like I should be here. And I'm not arrogant, but I am confident. I mean, is that a possibility too? Otherwise, Absolutely. like we're all broken, you know? <laughs> no, we're, and, and it's not broken. You know, when I work with people, I, I don't like the word fix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, you're just changing things that, you know, this isn't what I want anymore. I want it to be different. 
so you're changing them um but but yeah absolutely you know when people grow up and and feel like they're safe you know that it's okay to try things and fail Mm-hmm. It's a good way of learning. You know, some families encourage that, you know, get the five-year-old out there rock climbing. And, mm-hmm. you know, in other families, it's wrap the 25-year-old in bubble wrap. It's like there's a wide spectrum of what's safe and what failing can mean in different families. Um, it's if they are affirming to the children and, and letting them know that they are valuable, that they're loved, that they... Um, you know, that the, their efforts are appreciated and, and that they're contributing, you know, all of those, those things that are important for people to be, you know, self-fulfilled, to be able to, uh, you know, identify goals and go after them, um, that they're part of something bigger, that they belong. You know, that's also a big one uh, within the family structure. But yeah, when people grow up in families like that, then they, they automatically, you know, are, are set up to be more successful. They are able to choose what they want to happen instead of make their choices based on fear. So is this the kind of thing, like if somebody realized this, realizes this earlier in life, it's easier to help reverse it than for somebody like at my stage of life, you know, a little south of 60 to go back, I mean, all of those years, where if I was 24, it might be going back, you know, 15 years. Have you seen that for some, it's a little harder to go back and try to unwind some of these negative things? Or, uh, you know, like, I guess my question is, is it too late at, at a certain age? It's never too late. Um, and, and there are different processes that different people use to, to help work with subconscious beliefs. The one I use just just works with what's there now and changes it. It doesn't really matter how long it's been there or where it came from. If we identify what it is and what they would rather have, it's just a matter of changing it. So if you could, let's just say you met a couple or a person that's deciding they're going to bring a child into the world. I mean, what would your advice be? Let's say that, you know, the baby's going to be due here in two months. And somebody says, hey, Judy, I know you do all this work, and I really, I've really, i heard your podcast with Mac, and I don't want my kids to wind up like Mac did or Mac's dad. What advice would you have them as they're, they or him, her, whoever is going to have this child now? Because this is a lifetime commitment. It, Any words of advice? Uh, yeah, wow. I've, and I've, always, I've so often said I wish I knew that this when I was, you know, starting my family, uh, start early. Um, even babies in utero can, can hear tones and, and, you know, pick up vibes. So start early about, you know, positive excitement about the baby there, about how much they're wanted, about how much they're loved, um, and appreciate them, you know, don't, don't, it's okay to have a good sense of humor, but don't humiliate children or, you know, point, point out all the things they do wrong. If, if you can kind of guide them more with the positive reinforcement, I, I think that's always more effective, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would also then apply to teachers because at a certain age, your kids end up going to school and 
you know, for me, I can think back on some teachers I had that were very positive. And in fact, it was interesting. My mom, you know, she's in her almost 90. She was cleaning out some old papers and my mom saved everything. So I was looking at some papers, stories I wrote back in the third grade. And I, and I saved one because I had a teacher that said, this is an amazing story. Uh, I want a copy of your first book when you write a book. Oh. And I thought, you know, it, it never really, I don't remember that. I don't even remember writing that story, but I thought, wow, there's somebody from an early age. And it's like, yeah, now that I've written a couple, like I would love to find her, you know, of course she's probably sadly long gone, but to say, look, you were right. You know, that was such a, in a, in an environment growing up that was always so negative, little things like that had I really, really understood it, would have just made a difference. So teachers too, I think, Absolutely. would benefit from understanding this too, wouldn't they? Yeah. Everybody, you know, I mean, I've, I've um, worked with a lot of coaches um, and addressed them as a group at, at times. And, you know, understanding the impact of the subconscious and having some compassion and respect for people you know, it's not just what they can do to um, encourage the, the children that they work with, but if you're working with adults, understanding that if they're not doing the thing they agreed to do, um, doesn't necessarily mean they don't care or they just blew it off. It might be that there are beliefs there that are making it really difficult for them to do that. And so a little compassion for people is always a good thing. So I don't want you to give away your process because I want my audience to experience working with you. But could you give us a general idea? Let's let's say that I walk in and I say, you know, hey, Judy, I, I'd really would like to work on my own self-worth, my own self-confidence. Uh, how, how would something like that work? And again, I don't want all the secrets. Right. Because I don't even want the public to know all the crap I have going on in my head uh, <laughs> on a podcast and all. But can you give us a general idea of what it might look like? Sure. So people come in and, you know, almost always they have something they want to change. So we start it with that. Like, what's going on? What would you rather be experiencing? That one stops people a lot because they know what they don't want, but frequently they don't know what they do want. Hmm. So, you know, zeroing in on whatever their highest priority was that they came in with and getting some real clear understanding of what they would rather be experiencing is the first part of it. And then we use the process, which for me, what I use with clients is called Psych K. And um, the change part is really pretty straightforward. It usually takes less than five minutes to change any one belief. So it's, it's finding the things that they want to be true. And then we just, you know, we, make that so that that's a belief that their subconscious has now. How long does it normally take to get a breakthrough like that? Because you said it's five minutes, but I'm thinking, yeah, that's a lot to unwind in five minutes. And well, that's, I think that's any one belief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most situations are a little bit more complex than that. Although I will say when I've worked with people with phobias, I've never had a phobia client take a full session, a full hour. We usually get rid of the phobia in, you know, 20, 30 minutes and the rest of the time they can find something else they'd like to change and we'll work with that. But yeah, all frequently clients will say, well, this is the issue. How many sessions do I need? And it's like, 
I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be one session does enough that they are over whatever they were trying to get over. Uh, sometimes things are a lot more complex than that. And it might take, you know, several sessions. Okay. And is this something that do I have to actually travel to you or do you do this virtual? How does this work? Yeah, I, I do it virtually. I was seeing people virtually for over half of my clients before the pandemic. Um, I just got to simplify my business when everything started shutting down. So now I only see people virtually. Yeah. Uh, it's um, a lot simpler for me and, and hopefully for them as well. Yeah, I think so. Well, this all sounds great, Judy. So let's, let's wind this up because I, I hope that whoever's listened said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. I've got some self-limiting beliefs that I need to wrestle with. Judy, what is the best way for us to reach out to you? And are there any other resources you could offer us? Yeah. Uh, well, my website, which I assume will be in the show notes below. I'll put it in the descriptor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Aligned Consciousness. Uh, people can book a free 15-minute phone call if they've got more questions or want to know how what I do would apply to what they want to change. Uh, so I always welcome the opportunity to have more conversations about this. And if they just want to read more, of course, there's stuff all over the website, but there's a particular page that's called resources that has a variety of, of free downloads that people can get to, to, you know, read more about it, see if it intrigues them. So that would be at alignconsciousness.com slash resources, right? It would. All right. Very good. Well, Judy, thank you so much for taking time with us this morning and offering us something that I think for many of my listeners is exactly what they needed to hear today. We really appreciate you being on the show and you know, thanks so much for giving us your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years. And I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs, more information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.